Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope you guys are doing great this morning as we uh, jump into two weeks to discover who we are born to be. Super passionate about having these next two weeks together. We're going to be jumping into the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and um, I think you're going to really enjoy it. I think you're going to be very uh, encouraged by it, and I think it might have the opportunity to possibly change your life because the passage we're going to deal with has had a massive impact on my life, uh, changed it for the better, uh, kind of took it and shook it upside down, and and, uh, I hope it does that in a positive way for you. So, the, the question is, who were you born to be? And is there an actual greater story that you find yourself in personally? And then beyond that, as we come together as individuals and make up this church, is there a story that we're in as a church that maybe we're missing? Okay, That's what we're going to take a look at over the next two weeks. And here's the deal. Michelangelo, if you guys know him, great Ninja Turtle uh, and... Um, also, before he was an Ninja Turtle, he was an amazing artist, right? And uh, Michael Angelo said this. He said, the greater danger for most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our aim too low and achieving our mark. And I think that is true for us as individuals and true for us as Christians that make up churches, is that it's not that we're aiming too high and missing that mark for our life. It's that we're aiming too low and actually hitting it. And I think so much of this has to do with the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves, about where we came from, about our role in life, about our potential. And it's interesting, the reason I chose this quote from, from, um, from Michelangelo is that there's an interesting thing about Michelangelo's life. I learned this by reading uh, Seth Goins' new book. Uh, it's called... Uh, real artists don't starve or something like that great book and then he talks about Michelangelo and how Michelangelo didn't starve he actually was a multi-millionaire most people don't know that but the thing that drove Michelangelo to become himself to become the great Michelangelo is that he believed a story about himself Seth says this or Jeff says this all of his life Michelangelo was told that he had been born into a noble family This belief guided his understanding of himself, fueling his ambition to become a successful artist. Wherever he went, he was the disenfranchised aristocrat eager to restore his family name to honor. That was the story that Michelangelo told himself, and it was the fuel behind becoming who he was born to be. Here's the issue with the story. It wasn't true. Michelangelo wasn't from a noble family. But you know what? It didn't matter if the story was true or not. All that mattered was that Michelangelo believed it, and it was a story he told himself every day that he got up and every day that he went to bed, that he was restoring the honor of this great family, and he was going to do great things, and that's what he was born to do. He believed the story that he told himself, and it fueled him to become who he was born to be. Here's the reality about you and I. We are believing a story about ourselves. Many of us are believing a story about ourselves that is not true, but it doesn't matter. It's still creating our life. Many of us are believing a story about your role within the church, also not true, but it's creating the issue that we have in the North American church today. 
And my hope of the next two weeks is to expose you to a new revelation, to a word from God, a forgotten word of God from the, from, from the Bible that will help you begin to tell yourself the true story about who you are born to be and what that means for your life within the kingdom of God and this church in general. And we begin telling a true story to ourselves. I believe the power could change our lives. And maybe, just maybe the city. Jesus, I just pray as we get into your word that it would begin to illuminate our life, that it would begin to, to, um, to help us discover the good news, the story that you are writing with our life and that you are writing with your kingdom. I pray that we would find our place in it and the, uh, the result would be changing the course of human history. In Jesus' name. Amen. To believe great things about your future, you have to believe great things about your past. And here's the deal. I don't care if you're from Beech Grove or Fishers. I don't care if your parents were congressmen or garbage men. You have to get back to understanding that before you were who you are right now on earth, you were designed to be something so much greater in the heart and the mind and the design of God. To discover you were born to be, it has to do with your identity and understanding who you are and who we are as human beings. Now, here's the deal with identity. I can't remember where I read this this week, uh, so I can't quote where I read it. I just know that I read it, and I thought, that's good. I'm going to mention it on Sunday. But this issue of discovering identity is a little bit tricky and tough to get our minds around sometimes in a spiritual, scriptural understanding. But the, the, the illustration I read was if you take it back to an earthly understanding identity, like how did you get to know who you are? Like, how did I get to know that I'm Darren Earlywine? I got to know that because as a child, my father and my mother, my parents said it to me over and over and over and over and over again. Darren, 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 Darren Earlywine, Darren Earlywine, Darren Earlywine, Darren, Darren, Darren. Often as a child, I heard Darren stop. <laughs> no, no, right? I had a problem with obedience young as a kid. Actually, it continues on to this day. But anyway... Some of you don't know who you are in God's eyes because you maybe have only heard him say who you are once or twice. And that's what getting into the word of God, immersing yourself in a faith community, hearing the word of God preached and hearing the Holy Spirit guide and direct your life. It's a process of you hearing what is true about you in God's eyes over and over and over and over again until you begin to see yourself and understand your identity, not based on what you've heard or what story you've told yourself, but on who God says that you are. And you begin to step into what is true about you. So what is true about us? What were we born to be? Well, let's go with some basics, right? To know, to know great things about your future, you must know great things about your past. And here's how your, your past created. The fact that you're a human being means that you are made in the image of God, meaning that you have infinite value in the heart and the mind of God because you are actually created within all of creation as kind of the crown jewel of God's image bearing. That's something that's true about you. It's part of your story. Who are you born to be? You were born to be someone who reflects the very image of God. Not only that, but the word of God tells us the whole deal about Jesus was that we could actually get back to the original creation where we were intimate allies with God. Children, sons and daughters of God joined to him, brought to life to him, to actually partner with him to take care of and lead in this earth. That's a part of who you were born to be, an image-bearing son or daughter of God that becomes an intimate ally, not to be used by God, but to partner with him. 
the author of faith and hope and love to move forward what's on his mind in his heart to live in the world that your, your soul and your heart desires to actually experience. You are actually an ambassador of the king of the universe given authority and power to actually represent him on earth. That is who you were born to be far beyond and more primal than anything that you know in your life. But here's the question. Is that the story you're telling yourself about your life? Because if you're not, it makes a difference. Just imagine if for the next five days you woke up and told yourself that every morning you woke up and every night you went to bed. I am born to be someone who bears the image of the God of the universe. I am born to be someone who is actually, I am a child of God. I am a daughter of God. I am actually invited to become an intimate ally with the creator of the universe and partner with him. That's what I was born to be. I am actually given the opportunity to be an ambassador of God on earth, at my job, in my school, with my friends. That is who you were born to be. If you begin to tell yourself that story, my friends, it will change the way you live. It will change the way you love. It will change the way you respect yourself. It will change the way you demand respect from others. It will change the way you forgive. It will change the way you serve. It will reshape your life to become the person you were born to be. I know that we don't live there often. A few years ago, we did a sermon about... Um, self-compassion and our views on ourselves, And I remember Facebook and asking you guys to send me what you say to yourself when you screw up in life. And you know what you guys said to what you told me? You told me that you're really mean to yourself. And I'm in the same boat. I'm immensely mean to myself. Like you screwed something up this week and it may have been something small and you talk to yourself meaner than anyone has ever spoken to you this past year. You probably have pet names to yourself that you call yourself when you do stupid things. That if I called you that or your husband or wife or your friend called you that, you'd be like, now we're, gonna, we're probably going to come to blows by right now. I know that we don't speak the true story of who God created us to be very often in our life. And I think if we did, it would absolutely transform the way that we live way that we love. See, the journey, discovering who we're born to be, it starts with identity, but then it also is about living a life worthy of our calling. And we have an issue with calling because we have been told the incorrect story within the church about our role within the church. And it also brings, it kind of, it smashes us down into these little boxes of missing our true calling. And I want to jump I want to jump into to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend two weeks in this passage of scripture because it absolutely changed my life when I began to understand this scripture of living a life worthy of the calling that I had received. And I want to unpack that for us. And, and I, I think that, it, that what I'm observing in life around me right now is that many of us are living so far beyond who we were born to be because we have very little vision for our life of what we were called to accomplish and what we could accomplish. And so we are living a life so much below the life and the calling that we have. Here's my observation. I'm almost 40 and I've been watching us live in, in suburban Indiana, which is a um, 
the northeast side, at least if this is where you're from or at least around here, we live in a la-la land of, of, of unrealness, right? And we don't even realize it. And what I'm noticing about us is that most of us in, in this you know, somewhat affluent suburban life we have is, is our vision is, is really minuscule. And I'm, I'm on board, so I'm not pointing at you, right? I'm talking about me. Like I'm looking at my life at almost 40, and I'm watching your lives, and I'm looking at all of our lives. And here's what I think our vision for our lives are. We want ease, comfort, a good job, decent kids, toys, trips, and drinks. Like, I'm just watching life around me and going, you know what I think our greatest vision for life is? It's to have a decent job, get through this week so I can have my toys and a trip and some drinks on the weekend. Now, I love toys. I like trips. I just got back from one yesterday. I don't mind a drink every now and then. But what I'm beginning to see in my life and beginning to see in our life is that it's not something that is a part of it. It's becoming our vision for our life. Like that I was born to be someone who has toys and trips and drinks. That Jesus died on the cross so that we could have toys and trips and drinks. That's asinine. And so below what we're actually called to accomplish on earth. And in the meantime, outside of the bubble of La La Land, Indiana, northeast corner of Indy that we live in, the world is falling apart. And most of the times I don't care because I got toys and trips and drinks. This wasn't in the first sermon, but now I'm fired up. I'm just talking about me, just me, just going through Facebook and I see stuff and I Instagram and, and, the, and, the, and the news and the world just, it sucks. And I get so overwhelmed by it that I, I can't even really care. And I don't really want to care because it takes away from my trips and my toys and my drinks. But thanks be to God that I have enough minuscule part of the Holy Spirit still in me that he keeps beckoning me out to say, you gotta live a life worthy of your calling because you've been called by the living God to bear his image, to be his son, to be an intimate ally, to actually be an ambassador of his kingdom in this earth that needs to see faith and hope and love because it's broken. So then when you get to a passage like Ephesians 4, and it says this, right? Ephesians 4, Paul starts off and he says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you, for you, for you, for you have been called by God. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you've been called by God. What kind of story are you telling yourself? Did you wake up this morning or go to work last week telling yourself, I have been called by God to a mission. 
equipped by God. I am called. Here's the deal. We are a part of a church. In the, Old, in the New Testament, they called it an ecclesia. The word ecclesia means the called out ones. So when the church first started and people watched these people live this life worthy of this great calling that the creator of the universe invited them into, they said, what are we going to call these people? We're going to call them the ecclesia. They're the gathering of the called out ones. And they changed the world. And it's everybody. Everybody's in on it. But here's what's happened to us. We have completely jacked up our view of what it means to be called by God and created two, like a second-class hierarchy of stuff in the church that creates absolute havoc, and I believe it's the greatest strategy the devil's come up with in a long time. Because I have a story of God's call in my life. Because I'm special. Because I'm a pastor. Most of you don't, because you're underlings and common people called clergy. God doesn't love you as much as he loves me. And you're not as special as I am. See, I have a story that I tell and I've been telling for years at church camps and places I go and speak about this Wednesday night at Pine Summit Camp in Arizona. On Wednesday night where I got felt called to ministry and I was 16 years old. And from that moment, I changed the trajectory of my life to move towards this calling. I moved from Arizona, great place to live, to Marin, Indiana, not as great a place to live to get a degree, to be a pastor. And now my whole life, right, was put together to be called into ministry. And then I get to be called Pastor Darren, like Pastor Luke and Pastor Eric and Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. We are special and we're a clergy and we're called. And that's the story we tell ourselves. You have a career, I have a calling. I do big stuff for God. We'd like you to show up more than 1.7 times a week, a month, and maybe give. That's garbage. And it's unbiblical. See, the freak out for me happened when I was a pastor for years, but I didn't like it because I'm not a pastor. I'm about to read the rest of this passage that I believe there's five archetype type roles that we play within the kingdom apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers you are one of those and it's your function to actually make the kingdom work well i had a job as a pastor but i didn't know that i was actually an apostle that is apostolic and what i was supposed to do on the work on, on earth so when i didn't know who i was born to be i was trying to be a pastor and i wasn't very good at it because if you're a pastor or a shepherd you know people's names and you you just naturally create a, a loving family type relational environment and you're really good in relationships, and you just welcome people, and you love them, and you nurture them, and you're a good shepherd. I was not, and am not, and it drove me nuts. And then I got into this passage of scripture, and I started realizing, wait a second, this wasn't written to the pastoral staff of the church in Ephesus. This was written to everybody. He says, listen, everybody, live a life worthy of your calling, because you've all been called by God. So if you're here this morning and you're still breathing and alive, you have a calling equally as important as my calling on this earth. Do you know it? If you don't, you might be wasting your life. Well, that doesn't feel very good, Darren. No, it doesn't. And here's the option. 
There's a wide road that leads to wasting your life and it's paved with toys and trips and drinks. And then there's a narrow road that leads to passion and purpose and peace with God and and, and dreams and visions and faith and hope and love and the kingdom of God breaking in in messy ways and seeing the light of God change things. And it's a narrow road that not that many people take. Here's the good news. On the narrow road, sometimes you still have toys and trips and drinks. They're just not everything that you are because you realize that's not what I was born to be. See, there's different callings, guys. Lots of them. There's the five roles. We're going to unpack this next week. If you're not planning on going to church next week, change your plans. Come to church next week. (laughs) Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I believe they are the five foundational functions within God's character, his creation, that Jesus actually walked in in earth, and then he gave to us as the body of Christ. Even within those, there's different ways that calling breaks out. In the Old Testament, we had, we had these three contemporaries, right? There was Ezra, and then Esther, and there was Nehemiah. They all lived together, accomplishing God's will. Ezra, he was called to, to work at a, in, in the temple, right? And do church-type stuff. He had a calling. And then there was Nehemiah. He was called by God to, to give his career to go and actually, like, rebuild the walls of the city. At the same time, same, same calling, equally as good. And there was Esther, same time used the place she was at and said, God, what are we doing? What was I born to be? And she used the place she had in her life to actually create great things. And all three of them worked together, equally, equal callings to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we got to discover this. We got to lean into this. We got to live a life worthy of your calling. Because you have been called by God. So, as the scripture goes, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, building yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Okay? All, all, one, one, it's all together. There are not two levels of this deal. I'm not special and you're not. We are all called and gifted. That's why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Notice it also says he ascended. That clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. That the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. The gathering of the called out ones the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge in Christ and God's son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each, as each, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy 
and growing and full of love. When this happens, when you live a life worthy of your calling and live out that role, maturity, growth, unity, all these things happen in the body of Christ. And every time they happen in the history of humanity, that happens. Currently, we are experiencing a decline and a plateauing of every mainline denomination of church in America. Things are going like this. Here's what happens when we all live a life worthy of our calling and step in to become what we were born to be. It started in 33 AD. Jesus is, is, is crucified, dead and buried. On the third day, he raises again. And at that point, there's about 120 disciples. That's about 33 AD. Shortly after that, the Holy Spirit descends on each one and and each one is given a calling to step into who God created them to be. Within that moment, the day of Pentecost, the the church grows to about 3,000 called out ones to follow God and their unique calling and ability. They move forward without any special training or structure, just the Holy Spirit and them living a life worthy of their calling and the church grows by 110 AD to about 25,000 Christians. Pretty good growth. It then exponentially explodes to about 310 AD when we have about 25 million Christians. At that point, something happens that I believe we've been stuck into for over 1,700 years that we have to rediscover. Because till about 210 or something like that, AD, maybe 280, it was illegal to even have a church building. So you couldn't do what we're doing right now. It was illegal. And it was still skyrocketing and changing the world, this movement of the called out ones. Here's what happened in 310 AD, unless you don't know, a lot of us don't study 310 AD history, right? There was an emperor named Constantine. And what happened was he had a dream the night before a big battle. He saw a flaming cross in the air and he heard this voice say, in this sign conquer. And in their language, the first letters of that statement are IHS. The next morning he woke up and had all of his soldiers put crosses on their shields. They went out the next morning, won the battle. And Constantine said, you know what? We're going to make Christianity no longer illegal. In fact, it's going to become the state religion, official religion of Rome. And we started to professionalize Christianity. Now there was peace and we weren't a revolution run and led by people. We became an institution led by professionals. Still to this day in most traditional churches, if you go to the communion table, there's a cross on it. And in the middle of the cross are what three letters? IHS. Most of you thought it meant in his service. So did my brother when he got a tattoo on his arm with it. And then I had to inform him later. No, it doesn't mean in his service. It means in this sign conquer, which is still a good statement. But we have had this idea, right, that, that this revolution that Jesus started and gave to each person. Since 310 AD, we've stepped into creating institutions led by professionals And where one or two people stand up on stages and the 95% of you sit and hope to attend a couple times a month and have a sense of kind of maybe purpose and you kind of like your job, but you don't really know and you just wish you could be as special as one of those people in ministry. Like if you really ascended on high and walked on water, maybe you could be a missionary. And the story you tell yourself as I came from this family and I really messed up in college and then I had this divorce and then there's this and I don't do this and I, I don't have a calling and I can't talk like Pastor Darren and I don't, can't sing like Eric and I'm just an accountant. Does anybody have a toy or a drink I could have? 
It's time we rediscover the story that's true about you and me and us. You wake up tomorrow morning and you go, you know what? I'm actually made in the image of God. I'm actually invited into a covenant relationship where I have now become a daughter of the Most High God. He's invited me into an actual mission with him. I'm an intimate ally with God, and I'm actually an ambassador of the Most High God. I just happen to have a job as an accountant because I know numbers. Hey, God, if I were to live my life worthy of the calling you've given me here, what would we do together? And I guarantee you, you start filling your heart and your mind with the dreams that are currently on God's heart and mind. And he asks, you ask, could I borrow a dream, God, from you to become who I was born to be? And all of a sudden, the things that pacify your boredom today, you won't have time for because you'll be too passionate about the things that God has entrusted to you. As you see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe if we all did that, Mercy Road would be so much more than the awesome church it already is. And the church in Indianapolis would become so much more than just maybe an afterthought of people that they don't get. We would actually begin to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the cool part is you would live with the most peace, patience, kindness, purpose, and passion that you've ever experienced. So how do you get in on that? Well, you got to be reborn. Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him in John 3 and says, hey, how do I get in on this kingdom of God deal? He had the same desires that we had, and this is back in 30 AD. Jesus says, listen, take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. And how can anyone, Nicodemus said, be born who's already been born and grow up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying from this, with this born from above talk? And Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the original story, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism to a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see, can't touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit to start this life to become who you were born to be you have to be reborn by the spirit of god to join with god to be an intimate ally and ambassador of god we call it salvation we call it getting saved jesus calls it being reborn because you have to go back to the original story to reset your life to once again be a living spirit brought to life by god bearing his image, to be his child, an intimate ally and ambassador on this earth. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you need to start retelling yourself the story of your life. It's not, well, I was going to church and like at six, I decided to become a Christian and then I attend here. Go back and retell your story the way God tells it. Or if you're here this morning, you've never begun a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, this isn't about just going to church and trying to stop doing the bad stuff. This is about you stepping into the story that's been written about your life since the creation of the world. It's about you becoming the person you were born to be. Just live a life worthy of the calling that the creator of the universe authored for you. And this morning can be the start of that. Or if you want. He loves you so much. He won't make you do anything you don't want to do. And if you want, you can probably keep living on the north side of Indy. 
and you could probably have all the toys and trips and drinks you want. It's up to you. I would beg you to live a life worthy of your calling because you have been 